You are listening to the Regent College Podcast. Hello, I'm Nick Corbin. And I'm Claire Perini. And welcome back to the Regent College Podcast. Friends, today we're talking about music and theology, a little bit of psychology and the integration of those things with Dr. Shalee Stearns, who's Associate Professor of Theology at the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. She's a Regent grad, studied Christianity and the Arts here at Regent, and then got a PhD at the Institute for Theology, Imagination and the Arts at St Andrews in Scotland. And she's um, she's got a broad range of interests, but she's She's currently writing on the intersection of trauma, theology and music. And we had a really good conversation with her and fascinating. I'm I'm not musically really inclined at all. I love music, but I'm not musical really. Mm. And it was just it was fascinating and like just us thinking about the ways that um, that music helps us understand more of who God is. The, the, the role of musical worship in our formation mm-hmm. as Christians and in forming us into action and particularly the kind of we talked a lot about lament and how mm. we understand that and the practice of that in corporate worship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a wonderful conversation. I think it made me think more and more about the musical worship that we do in our in our churches and the importance of actually having lament a part of our a part of our church congregations more and more and uh that even christ himself lamented on the cross too we talked about that as well and quoting psalm 22 so dr stearns was wonderful she um even sang for us a little bit she wished she could have her violin there but she didn't have but you might hear a little bit of music in the background uh, it sounded like an upright bass to me as we were having the conversation. So it was, it was uh, kind of embodying what we were talking about. It was embodying what we were talking about. We love a bit of embodiment. Mm-hmm. So, friends, we hope you enjoy our conversation with Dr. Shalee Stearns. Dr. Stearns, welcome to the Regent College podcast. It's great to be here. Thank you for asking me. We're, we're glad to have you. Um, we're, you're a Regent grad, which is always it's always a joy to have a Regent grad on the podcast. Um, and but you've you've got this. You've had this journey of exploring uh, theology and music and psychology. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that journey and how you became interested in the intersection of those three things? Yeah, I mean. My mostly what my work has been in is music and theology. Mm-hmm. And I'll say that many much of it started because Lauren Wilkinson, way back in the day, asked me a simple question. Um, I was doing more Old Testament stuff, which is, you know, lovely, and I'm still in love with the Old Testament. Um, but he asked me a simple question. He was like, Well, Shalee, you're a violinist. Don't you think that should have something to do with what you do in the world? Mm. And I went, huh? Well, yeah, I, I had a music so. degree. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was probably like the first thing. And then so my thesis project actually shifted from doing something more in biblical studies to doing asking the question, what does it mean for me to be a Christian and a mm. musician, especially, mm. especially a violinist? Mm-hmm. And so I went and took violin lessons from a, a, a 
Baroque violinist here in Seattle, and I was living in Seattle at the time. So I learned to play a Bach sonata and a fugue and all these things. And then I began to go, wow, musical space gets my theological brain going mm. in really mm. interesting sorts of ways. Mm. And so I found, I entered as a violinist and I kind of left my master's thesis project at Regent as a systematic theologian for some reason. <laughs> How yeah. did that work? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> beware. Yeah. Beware the questions that people ask you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you did the violin study, sorry, because well, oh, you were coming up and forth, back and forth from Seattle. So you were doing that alongside while you were studying at Regent. Okay, got it. Wow. Got it. Yeah. Oh, and I was teaching violin at the time yeah, and, right. and doing all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but like getting to like psychology, yeah. it wasn't until I started teaching at the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology that I began to incorporate more mm-hmm. psychological models as well into my research and all the rest of it. Yeah. Oh, oh wow. Fascinating. So, so good. Um, tell us a little bit, how would you sort of articulate then a theology of, of, sorry, Nick, were you going to say no, something? No, do it. Do it. <laughs> Does, like, how would you articulate a theology of music? Like why do we have music in church, but theologically, why does music matter? How do we understand it? Well, it depends on where you want to start. Yeah. Um, I mean, we have music in churches partly because um, music was always a part of worship. When we look at a biblical theology of worship, you always have musicians that are around. I love the fact that, you know, you have trumpets and harps and and people who sing and people who are composing music specifically for the worship of the people of God. And so it's there. It's present. Um, you know, it's in the Psalms. It's all over the place. Um you know, even like David is like, you know, soothing um, Saul, you know, like there's all these things mm. that you see happening. Um, so it's always present. If you start from a more psychological perspective, we have music because it's our primary language. It's how mm. we got into language in the first place. Mm. So music brings us into the world and it actually holds us and sustains us in the world in really, really Mm -hmm. significant ways. We learn to interact with others through the negotiation of sound and music. Mm. So this is what you see between a mother and a child. Mm. You know, you hear this cooing back and forth. And so we are like literally musicked into the way we are in the world. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful picture. And that has huge, obviously, ramifications for who we are as a a church. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, I've never thought about that. Um, I, I wonder, because uh, you've written about this, I know, but and I, I was really interested in it, but in speaking about um, specifically with theology and with God as triune, as Father, Son, and Spirit, um, and how they relate to one another, how, how would you say that music reveals God as triune, that maybe per se, a doctrinal statement, or as a systematic theologian, you've probably done extensive work in this or, you know, at at Regent. But how would you say that maybe music articulates it in a better, more nuanced way that maybe just saying it in a doctrinal statement can't? Well, yeah. I mean, I guess this is the I wish I now I'm like I don't have my violin with me. Yeah, that's right. Mm. We need a piano yeah. or something. We need just a violin. Sing yeah, right. Just sing it. We, yeah. we could actually play something because it makes more sense when you have the music with you. Uh. Um, I mean, it was Jeremy Begbie first that mm. kind of 
got me thinking, got a lot of us thinking about even like how a triad kind of holds mutuality, um, the the simultaneity of being and the non-competitiveness of musical mm. space. So mm. you can have one note, two notes, three notes, all in the same space at the same time. And so things like mm. when you're sitting in a, a theology class and a professor uses language like uh, mutuality, reciprocity, or inner animation, Mm. I think that's one of the words that I never understood until I, <laughs> until I started playing Bach. But wow. then you realize that the notes begin to resonate within each other and actually make them more. Mm -hmm. So it's the characteristic of how music actually functions, mm -hmm. how tones, they move through each other and with each other and actually help to expand. Um, I think it's Zucker Candle that talks about that a single note is something of a prophecy, and it takes another note to actually release the resonance of that one note. Wow. And so I, I think it's those kinds of relational, oh, it's almost like an expansion of being, hmm. you know, and you feel that when you're singing together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, you can Definitely. sing yourself, you know, you can sing a song, but then someone else comes along and maybe sings a harmony and you feel like something expands. Yeah. Um, and then there's other things that happen. But I mean, so I think that was is where I would really start. Yeah. Well, and the non-competitive part of that's interesting too. Like that, like when we're, it, it, a harmony is a good example because it's like actually you don't, you don't necessarily drown me out if you harmonize actually. It makes it fuller. Like we're not necessarily competing if we can't hear each other, then the harmony mm -hmm. doesn't exist. So actually, you know, there's, yeah. Do you want to talk more? Is there anything more about the non-competitive nature of it that you could talk about? Yeah, I mean... For me, I think this is a this is a really important category because it's mm. it's not a non-ordered way right. of being, but there's often a negotiation. Um, so sometimes when we talk about like Trinitarian theology or some certain kinds of theology, it feels maybe a little bit static. Like we have to have these things that that describe and you bring bring us into, you know, maybe Jesus's agency or what does it mean to have creation? But really what we're talking about is how God is moving, how whether God is moving in God's time or in our time. Um, so now we get into like, what is the relationship between a God that is everywhere and, you know, and then us who are very, very finite. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean for us to perhaps be in the same space or God be present with us? And does that mean that we get less? Or mm. does that mean that in some sense we we become more because of our relationship with God? Mm. And I think that's where a lot of theologians go. They ask that question of how do we talk about our relationship with God? Mm. Because it's not necessarily right. an equal relationship. Right. Yeah. Because we're finite and God's infinite. Yeah. Um, but that invitation into relationship is very similar to the invitation, like the entering into music. Yeah. Um, so we begin to sing a song that is there and we can have lots of people come and join that. But it's the song that guides us and actually brings us together. Yeah. And it orders our voices so that we can sing together. Uh -huh. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, we, we could talk about dissonance and things like that at a different point, but you know, yeah. sometimes that harmony actually pulls us together and we have an ordered way of being, Right. but it ha has to be mutual in order for us to right. hear each other and to, and to make music. Right. Otherwise you have a cacophony. That's one of my favorite words. 
a cacophony. You know, like that's so that's the whole thing. Yeah, it's not that it's not disordered. Like it, there yeah. is an order and a shape and a like a form of some kind, but it's not. Yeah, it's not competitive and it's not chaotic either. Um, yeah, yeah. But, but then but then you get into music like maybe Ligeti's music right. of where it is like tonal clusters. Ooh, and so the way yeah. res- resonance happens is is by like dissonance or by right. the clashing of tones. And then like something begins to sparkle, but you still have to be like where you are in the music and create yeah. something really beautiful. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned mis- musical space earlier is that I mean is that kind of what you mean around that like specifically within relation between God and creation or humanity like there's God's will and then there's human agency but then there's Mm -hmm. this musical space that allows for a framework for us to understand actually how this relational dynamic works can you elaborate a little bit more on on musical space and how that plays out yeah, I mean, it again depends on what your model is. I, depends I on think, where you start. <laughs> depends on where you start. Um, where do you Where do you start? Yeah. Well, it depends if we're talking about congregational singing, okay, or if we're maybe talking about a doctrinal something. Mm, okay. So, for example, whenever I teach on sin, the place where I begin is with Estonian composer um, Arvo Pärt's music. And he has a kind of kind of music that he calls tin tin tapuli music, which is like the ringing of bells, mm-hmm. and it has two real really major parts that kind of play off of each other. And he talks about it as one grounding us, like in in the tonalness of of the music, and the other is like us, like we we wander from God, mm-hmm. we come back. We move through the world. And I have this one video of him just like at a piano playing this. And he's like, and here we are. We're wandering from God. Of course, he's talking in Estonian. Mm. But and but then always we are held by the being of God. We are drawn back into, in some sense, the, the harmony of who God is. Mm. Um, and it, I think it's a great place to talk about when you're, when you're talking about sin, especially because most of my students are therapists. Mm. And so uh, psychology doesn't really have a category of sin per se, like theology does. So in some sense to have a model, a a non-competitive and also kind of a holding musical model that can help us to say, well, we need to talk about sin and what it is Mm -hmm. and how it pulls us away from relationship and how it actually keeps us from the goodness that is in the world. And also, how does God then draw us back into that goodness? And how are we sustained in that goodness? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, again, yeah. I, I'm like, we should have like musical examples right here. Like, yes, right. exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like definitely. insert like audio file here kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So for, for everybody's yeah, like, go and listen to Spiegel and Spiegel, a mirror, yeah. kind of a mirror in a mirror by Arvo Parrot, and you'll know. Hopefully you'll hear what I'm, what I'm oh, saying. Man. Yeah. I'm wondering, so it sounds like, and maybe I'm not hearing you. I'm not sure if I'm hearing you right. Is it the sense that like, so music obviously can illustrate this for us. So it's like we can, you know, the, the three tone chord, you know, that illustrates God's, th- those sorts of things. But, or is there a sense that actually musical space itself actually draws us in? Do you know what I mean? Can you, or maybe it's always not either or, it's probably both and. You know? Yeah, yeah it's, it's really like both. <laughs> yeah. Um, again, it depends on where you start. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> well, because musical space, it is not governed by juxtaposition. 
And so sometimes I have students come up in front of the class whenever I'm doing this, you know, I'm demonstrating this and I'll be standing someplace and I'm like, okay, so come up and stand next to me. Now stand where I'm standing. And the student always like looks at me like, this is really confusing. Why are you, why are you having us do this? You know, mm-hmm. and, and eventually the student kind of knocks me out of where I am so they can stand where I am. And I go, mm. so that's the, that's a principle of just juxtaposition. Only one of us can be in this space at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then mm. I have a, a few students come up and I have them read four lines from a, from a Shakespearean play all at the same time. And I say, can you hear what everyone is saying? And everyone's like, no, no, not at all. And then I play them a, a part of, a, of an opera where all those parts are coming at the same time. And you can hear each of the lines at the same time simultaneously. And you can actually get the words and the, and the, the structure mm-hmm. of, of the, of the play even, um, and it becomes simultaneous. So musical space actually creates a different space, a, mm. a space of simultaneity, a space that enables mutuality. Mm. Um, it it offers particularity at the same time and differentiation. Mm-hmm. So differentiation, instead of it being um, problematic or competitive, mm. um, meaning either you or me, it actually offers a different sort of space where we can say, oh, you and I together actually make something. We can make something that is more than just us by ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, have you heard, you know, that song by Andrew Peterson, Ten and, I think Ten and Bray. So it's basically all the seven words of like lines of Jesus from the cross. And he, he basically layers them. I'm wondering if this is sort of thing, like he layers them on top of each other. So you start with one, Father, forgive them. Mm-hmm. And then he like, it layers them on, but you can actually hear all of them at the same time, but they're creating their own mm. thing. I don't know if you know that song. Anyway, that just made me, made me think of that. Yeah. That, I mean, and, and that's exactly it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, in, in medieval, uh, medieval music, the idea of like when you have this very strong polyphony, so like poly means many. So you have all these like lines, this pol- pol- polyphonous music, one of the goals was, I mean, in fact, they were like, you shouldn't have a score because no one should be able to actually see it all at the same time. Only God should be able to hear all of it. But in some ways, we can kind of get to that place of where we can identify and right. follow. And it that order actually brings order in a, in a sense, like mm. we can rationally kind of take in more because the music gives us space to understand. So mm-hmm. as a theologian, I often think, yeah, you listen to something like the piece you're talking about and you mm-hmm. go, wow, I, I know something different. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. It's not just an illustration. You actually understand it. Just like, mm-hmm. it yeah. feels different to you and, and you begin to understand the lament of Jesus very differently. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, that's ex- totally right. Yeah, that's really helpful. Thanks. It's almost um, like a translation, right? Mm-hmm. It's almost like going from, yeah, you know, English to Hebrew or Hebrew to English or something mm-hmm. like that. It seems like too that with with music and our understanding of it, and specifically translation, that it's not relegated to maybe even a certain age to to understand or comprehend. I'm just thinking about children and how there's even an innate ability within them at a young age to maybe understand something but not be able to articulate it through mm-hmm. through music. Have you experienced that in maybe your teaching or or obviously you're teaching uh older older people and but I don't know do you have thoughts on on that specifically? 
Yeah, I mean, I think there is a... It happens to me all the time. Mm. <laughs> but I remember one time I was I was talking about this and I was I played a, a, a piece by James McMillan, Scottish composer. Um, and I had a student who like had never done art stuff, never really studied music. And I just started talking about what does the body go through or how do we talk about lament specifically? Mm -hmm. That's what I was talking about in class. And so I played this short uh, string quartet piece by Macmillan called Memento. And he is mirroring um, how Gaelic uh, psalmody is sung, which often everyone will, it's kind of like a slurry almost. Um, so everyone starts at the same time, mm -hmm. but you don't really sing in, in time and in unison with each other. Mm -hmm. Everyone just kind of sings every in their own time, but somehow it kind of slurries and fits together. Mm -hmm. And this whole piece was like that. And it was almost like waves on the shore coming at different moments, mm -hmm. but it was like articulating the same things over and over again. But it, you felt like, and here's another wave and here's another wave and it disorients you in just a little sort of way. Mm -hmm. And, um, and at the same time, it kind of brings you to the place of, and it holds the the muchness of grief, I think, mm. this mm. particular piece. Mm. And I had a student just come up and she was like, I don't know anything about music, but I just can't help. But like, like the music was just kind of going over and over in her mind. Right. And it was like she, whether I'm like, she really understood like a theology of lament at that point or not, mm. but it, it just was like one of those times where it was like, it became what seemed really abstract before became very concrete. Wow. Yeah. When the yeah. 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 And this, you sort of, you sort of have started to touch on this, but I wonder if we can sort of think a little bit more about kind of, you know, music in church and, and our emotions and how we understand that, you know, and there, there could be the critique that, that music is, can be emotionally manipulative or it kind of, the, the, the leader of, of, of musical worship is trying to get us to feel a certain thing or be, you know, or something like that. There's a critique around that. And then it actually then deters us from worshiping and that sort of thing. But how do our emotions, the full breadth of them, um, into how, how does that reorient it? How do they fit into musical worship? Can you talk a little bit about emotions and, you know, musical worship in churches particularly or anywhere, I guess, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, there's a, there's a theory when you talk about music in the brain that music has a capacity to hold the complexity of our thinking, not just abstraction, but um, it 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 kind of forms us as as people and how we interact with one another. So there's something not just about emotions. Um, but about the way in some ways, sometimes we don't know how we feel about something. We walk into church and, and we're asked to sing a particular song and we're not there. Like we may have had a, a bad morning or we might like have a lot of joy and be asked to sing lament or, you know, vice versa. Um, and so there's something really significant about that music isn't just about what we're singing together as, as far as. Like I have to assent to every single thing that I'm singing right mm. now, mm -hmm. but it does do something in how we kind of think about like, how are we being formed as the, as the people of God? Mm. So, and how do I then bring my individual emotions into that? Um, and I, and I think that's part of when we talk about like 
emotions being manipulated. I mean, it's kind of the joke of, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen those little, um, I don't even know what they're called, but it's like, you can go down the line and there's all these little chimes and you go, you know, and someone who's playing drums will go, Oh, watch this. You know, they'll go, everyone's hands go up, you know, um, that sort of kind of Pavlovian something. Um, but really what we're talking about here is the formation of emotion. Like how do I even hold my own emotion or feel my emotion, um, in a safe sort of way. Mm-hmm. And I think that music does this really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes when maybe when music gets manipulative, we don't have enough emotional intelligence maybe to understand, like, I can participate in this or I'm going to sing this on behalf of someone else. Mm-hmm. Or we're going to come together as a congregation and have a complexity of emotion uh, in how we are singing our music together. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure if I'm making great sense here. No, but yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, and that's the, it's that thing of part of being part of a body, isn't it? It's like, well, you, I might not be lamenting, but that person over there is, or someone somewhere, somewhere, somewhere else is. And so in our kind of comprehensive worship of God, mm-hmm. some, someone, even if I'm not feeling it, someone else is, or even, mm. even on the day that I'm, that they're not feeling it, I am. And so it's that, mm-hmm. again, there's a mutuality and, you know, it's interesting that yeah. thing about how music actually lets you feel something that you didn't, that you, like, I I remember being at my grandmother's funeral. I hadn't cried really at all. Mm. And we go to the funeral and we sing something. I can't remember what it was. And I automatically started crying. So I can, and then I can, the song stops and I stop crying. It's really strange. It was, mm. but it has happened to me more and more. Like over time, I realized that actually there's, there is a way that music, it's, it doesn't necessarily manipulate me, but it allows me mm. to access some part of myself that mm-hmm. I, I, what I'm not able to access in another you know, at another, at another point for whatever reason, but yeah, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. And that's exactly it. It And I think the best music or the best kind of experiences we have enable us then to connect in those places as, as the people of God, as mm-hmm. a church as a family. And we begin to learn to hold that together as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there, yeah. There's a really significant thing that happens, especially when we sing things that are very structured rhythmically, that mm. our hearts begin to um, beat together. There's mm. been some research that's done yeah, on that. Right. So it's not only kind of like how our brains are working when we're singing music, but also our hearts begin to respond to one another. Mm-hmm. And whether you're singing you know, Christmas carols and you're joyful or you're at a funeral, you begin to realize, I'm not alone and yeah. I can right. breathe with other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. You yeah. mentioned uh, Jeremy Bigby earlier and he has talked about in his book kind of this dynamic of, of emotions within music, but he talks about like sentimentality versus emotions. And I wonder if you might just touch on that and elaborate, because I know you've talked about it before, but what would you say the difference between these two are and why they're significant? Yeah, the way he, the way he talks, like one of the most important things I think that Jeremy says is in some ways it's, it's about being able to respond well Again, it's that connection. It's how we are moved into being the church or being the people of God, Mm. being a community together, Um, whereas sentimentality often makes you feel as if you've had the feeling, but you don't have to have a response to what is going on. Mm. And that kind of disconnect, like sentimentality can actually disconnect us from from contemplation and action. Mm. Um, And but really, beauty should lead us into 
Um, I've, I've heard a lot of theologians kind of talk about this, of that prayer worship should really lead us back into our communities. It's like how the Holy Spirit works within mm. us and moves us. And so we don't sing, we don't sing, we don't um, participate in beauty, we don't participate in liturgics so that we feel better about ourselves mm-hmm. or so that we go, wow, that was a great aesthetic experience. Mm. Right. We're there to be in some sense, again, when we get back into there's manipulation, but there's also kind of this like education mm-hmm. of our emotions or this opening up to what God is saying to us in this moment. Yeah. And, mm. and, you know, Jeremy keeps coming back to this over and over again of like um, the, the counter sentimentality of good mm-hmm. theology, the counter sentimentality of beauty that opens us up and helps us to understand how we are together with others in the world. Yeah. Mm. It's yeah. not just service. It's um, how do we love others better? Right. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. So in some sense, it's really a form, formative, formative piece, formation of our hearts and our minds and and emotions that should ultimately lead us into transformation or or action even in that of love towards the other that's that's mm-hmm. helpful really helpful yeah yeah at least i would say that's i would hope that would be that's the, the goal. hope yeah as, as christians i mean yeah. any spent any uh spirituality that kind of curves us back in on ourselves. we're mm-hmm. beginning to deceive and you know mm-hmm. art for art's sake or beauty for beauty's sake mm-hmm. or i just love to sing this song it's more of like how do we sing on behalf of others how do mm-hmm. we sing on behalf of our own mm-hmm. sense of how we are connected to the world mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and that this kind of that practice of of lament and grief in christian worship is is part of that and i wonder how is there ever a risk of that kind of curling in on itself i don't know i, I wonder but yeah i mean i guess so but I mean, I feel like probably since 2020, but it's probably been longer than that. It feels like the church has been trying to live into, lean into this kind of understanding mm. of lament as part of Christian worship and grief. And I don't know why it took 2020 for us, maybe in the West, to do this. I think other parts of the world have probably been doing it longer than than it's, it's sort of, it seems to have come alive more, this kind of the importance of lament. But why mm-hmm. do you think we've avoided that, perhaps as the Western church or maybe as the global church, and then... Yeah, talk to us a little bit about lament. I mean, the, the, the Psalms are full of lament. There's lots of, you know, talk to us a little bit about lament. Why do we avoid it? And how does it sort of fit into our worship and into shalom and, you know, all of those good things? <laughs> Big <Great> question. <laughs> <laughs> and like, here, and here's the Christian life. Yeah, that's um, right. <laughs> um, yeah, why do we avoid lament? Well, I think partly because it's it's hard, mm. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. because it breaks us open, mm. Um, mm. and um, it makes it makes us feel our vulnerability. And mm. I think often people don't really lament until they have no choice. They're in such extreme that they have no choice but to be right there. Mm. Um, and the question I often ask is, then who will join us? Mm. How will mm. we come together as the people of God and and create spaces, not only of lament, um, and again, like to come back to the sentimentality mm-hmm. question, it's not about kind of a self-indulgent, I'm now melancholy and I'm going to nurse my own melancholy. Lament always should take us someplace. It should mm. move us in in certain directions. It should help us not only feel what we feel, but see other people for who they are. Mm. Um, 
I, I think there's there's a movement that happens in lament. Um, so like one one thing that I have really focused on is James McMillan's like he kind of talks about that he circles around the you know the triduum like the the cross and the three days you know and getting to Easter like he kind of in his own music kind of plays with it over and mm. over again and he has this one uh, theme that he works with. Um, and there's two kind of musical themes that he, that really come back over and over again throughout his music. And like one of them is, and it's very, very simple. And it shows up in all these different places. Mm. And then he has another one where it's like, it's just a heartbeat and it's almost like breath. Mm. And one thing that I, I find significant in his work is that these motives or these kind of lament themes, sometimes they start at the beginning of the life of Christ because he has it in his Veni Veni Emmanuel, which is about the, you know, the, the beginning of the life of Christ and, and the, his heartbeat beginning. Um, but it's also at the end of the cross mm. and where he's on the cross and he's going into Holy Saturday and you hear his breath ending. Mm. And then in another piece, like that same motive happens right at the break of dawn before Easter, where you feel the, the life and the breath coming back. Mm. And I'm like, he understands something about the liturgical process of lament, mm. of where things begin, where there's life where there is death, where life has ended or something traumatic has happened so much so that we have a categorical loss in our life and we don't know how to then respond. That often is where we become very wordless or we are met with silence. And then how does lament move us through the Holy Saturday into mm. right at the break of dawn on Easter Sat or Easter Sunday to that place of the possibility that life can exist even where death has taken over. Mm -hmm. um, and I think this is where lament basically takes us through these processes that we need both psychologically and physically. And why do we avoid it? Because it's so hard. Mm. Um, we have to give ourselves over to our sorrow and our grief in so many different ways. And at the same time, Participating in liturgical lament mm. means we also give ourselves over to the possibility of hope when it mm -hmm. seems like it will never change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so it helps us to not hope too quickly. Mm. Yeah. Right. And it also helps us to reimagine the possibility of, and this is where shalom comes in, this mm. idea of peace or the arc of how God is at work in the world. Even when I can't see it, even when I can't feel it, maybe mm -hmm. there's such deep injustice. Maybe things have happened. Um, this is like cultural things that are, things are just so broken. How do we hold that? Well, well, we lament and we begin to in some sense, I mean, this is what artists do very much so, is they often start with the fragments. Mm. Maybe a fragment of story, maybe a fragment of existence. And they take that one thing that is small and not anything that's whole. And they begin to put it together with the other fragments that we find in our society. And so lament actually helps us to start to 
piece things together Hmm. and sometimes to be able to tell a narrative all the way through Mm -hmm. when that narrative maybe has been forgotten. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is, I think, the beginning of the possibility of healing, even when there's been deep, deep injustice and impossibility in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I love what you said to the phrase, we have to give ourselves over to sorrow and lament. And uh, yeah, I think it is it's such a challenge to actually move into that. And when we, I think when we do shortcut it or, or don't actually allow for that to happen, then we, then almost the hope that we have, that we see in Christ, like can't actually happen. Like we can't actually embrace it Mm because you haven't gone through those. And I don't know all the psychological and emotional components, but I mean, I do know that that's, that's what is predominant in scripture, even even a lot of time too. And even you brought up the cross and, and Holy Saturday and Resurrection Sunday, and even Jesus himself lamented when he was mm-hmm. on the cross, quoting Psalm 22. I wonder mm-hmm. if you could maybe share a little bit about that, about Christ's lament and what that teaches about suffering and even mm-hmm. even the importance of lament and grief. Yeah, I, I think I think it's very significant, this idea, I mean, Christ has his own, obviously, suffering on the cross and, and experience of death, but that he brings in this tradition of what we have sung together as human beings mm. as part of what, because he's not, you know, I'm like, people would have known what he was seeing. Like, he, they would have known these laments. Mm. Um but he's also crying out from his own heart. But he's like joining us in some hmm. in some really significant ways. Again, to go back to Macmillan, um, his seven last words from the cross, he brings in the the language of lamentations mm. into his rendition of the seven last words, mm. and it really, in some ways, and I've written about this a little bit. But in some ways, you almost feel like Jesus is joining daughter Jerusalem, daughter. Um, Zion wow. in the dirt, lamenting the loss of Jer- of Jerusalem, like lamenting the ending in in the Book of Lamentation, like, but also kind of Jesus joins all of humanity in that place mm. and significantly like takes it on himself. So you go, okay, so what does Jesus do on the cross? Like, how do we really understand? Well, my sins are forgiven. Yes. Mm. But the sorrows and the laments mm. of the world, um, God puts that on himself. Mm. And this is part of the process of what he takes into death. And mm. it's also part of what he brings into resurrection. Mm. Mm. Uh, and so this is why I'm like, this is why there is hope. This is why there is possibility. But it's like this this long kind of travail into life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it almost feels like taking all that is dark and broken and fragmented. I mean, this is very much some of the, my work on on trauma is really about how much how fragmented we are mm-hmm. as human beings when we experience death or a significant mm-hmm. like losses mm-hmm. that mark us. And it's like, why do we do liturgics? Why do we sing? Why do we encounter? Why do we come to church? Well, these are the places where our fragmentation is taken up. But I'm like, Jesus has already done this for us. Mm. And so we enter once more into a community. And that helps us 
in some sense, pick up the fragments once more and wonder, how are we healed today? How are, how are we redeemed as a human people? Mm. And how do we go out and serve the world? Mm-hmm. If we have, um, Catherine Tanner talks about it as we are given the good gifts of God for the sake of being able to then share those gifts with others. Mm-hmm. So you go, mm-hmm. what is the gift? The mm-hmm. gift is this like picking up of our fragments mm-hmm. of healing yeah. us, of redeeming us. All things are reconciled in the body of Jesus Christ. And you think, oh, God delights in this process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I, I wonder, I, I just have a question on specifically that piece because um, with the lament and going through that process of kind of like giving yourselves over to sorrow, but also allowing for the hope of the the resurrection to come ultimately is, is our hope. But I wonder specifically within, and I'm thinking within um, a song, a musical song, would you say that most songs should have that um, mm. that uh, almost choreography or that that rhythm within it of, of, of that movement going yeah. from lament to hope? Or do you think that, it, and I'm thinking specifically in our church services, do you think it's okay to have to end on a minor note mm. in a in a song? You know, like just to leave it there. I've been thinking mm. the exact same thing, Nick. We are in sync. I was like, Whoa. does lament always have to lead? Yeah, no. Um, lead, yeah, that's right. Lead to hope. It's totally, yeah. What do you think? Well, I mean, this is this is the big, I feel like this is like the big question. Mm. Um, there's the famous example of Psalm 88 mm. that, that famously kind of ends mm. um, in that place of darkness. The, is is their resolution because many of our stories don't, don't. have nice clean endings mm. um and there's also kind of i'm going to get myself in trouble here i'm not a biblical scholar okay. but there's a gospel of mark and it's the question of where does mark actually end mm. Right. Mm. does it end with the resurrection or does it end with the death of jesus yeah um and and the question is do we rush too quickly to the ending Mm. um, so that we know that there's a good resolution to things Mm -hmm. Um, or can we be content with, with maybe dissonance at the end? Mm -hmm. I study a lot of 20th century music, so I'm really fine with dissonance and (laughs) and, um, the, from a liturgical point, you would have to really educate people about what your expectations are. Mm. Yeah. About, mm-hmm. And even say, if you were going to end, I mean, even like you think about like the Psalms, like how each of them is structured. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And often you kind of, even in the book, middle of Lamentations, yeah. you have, you know, like, great is thy faithfulness, right. morning mm-hmm. by morning, new verses right. I see. But you're like, I think that's like, that's the fragmentation. Yeah. And being able to kind of hold that fragmentation. So I'm like, Sometimes the dissonance helps us go, okay, we're still unresolved here. Mm -hmm. We still don't quite know how to get to the end of this. Mm. And that's the way my my day-to-day, my next week is going to be like this. My next month is going to be like Mm -hmm. this. There isn't going to be a good resolution. Um, But yeah, liturgically, you have to go, well, if you ever do that, you have to to help people understand maybe what's going on. Yeah. You can't do it just to shock people. Yeah. No. No. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I just I think too, kind of what you were speaking to is predominantly the Psalms and even Lamentations still have this understanding of hope. Like we can still mm-hmm. trust that God is good and He is for us. And there are a few Psalms. And specifically, even Jesus, when he's on the cross quoting Psalm 22, like kind of ends in that lament and leaves you in Holy Saturday of of the waiting. Um, but predominantly, it does seem to me, uh, even as you articulate, that there is, there is a piece of like within most liturgies or even Psalms, an element of hope mm-hmm. and an element of like trust. Or the possibility of hope. I liked how you mm. said that, actually, that that whole, that idea of, even if it's not like hope itself, like you're saying, Nick, like, like there, there is that, like mm. there's at least the glimpse or the possibility of hope or the, mm-hmm. even if it's, yeah, so even if it's, even if it's really small. Yeah. Um, but that's yeah. almost like, a, that's even a qualifier again. And so it's like, it's not just hope. It's like, there's a possibility of hope, mm-hmm. which also yeah. tempers the, tempers right. it a bit too, yeah. in a in a helpful way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because trauma theorists fairly universally talk about the possibility of healing comes when someone can actually imagine beyond where the ending has taken them. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you have to not just end at the death. There has to be mm. like, ha- and to develop an imagination toward in that direction. And, mm. you know, I think this is where, like, I, I think it's why I love the Psalms because they move back and forth sometimes yeah. with their emotions and, right. you know, there's, there's, they're so human, you know? And, yeah. and so this idea of we're modeled over and over again, how to both hold what has died or what causes grief in our life and modeled into there's an imagination beyond mm-hmm. my experience of death in this mm-hmm. moment. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And it's, it might just be a possibility. Yeah. It might yeah. even be an impossible impossibility, but, um, right. Yeah. You know, but the ambiguity, like being able to yeah. hold the bothness of that, I think uh-huh. is, you know, we go back to emotions. Why do we sing together? Why, like, how are, how are we actually uh, formed or discipled into yeah. the fullness of who we are as human beings, our emotions? Well, it's for this sake that so that we can kind of be held when the storms come mm-hmm. and still see the possibility of hope. Mm-hmm. Well, it's almost like the impossibility. I don't know. I'm so not a um, philosopher at all, but it's <laughs> almost like that the, the like the possi- like then an impossibility means that there is a possibility. Do you know what I mean? Like so, even if it's, it feels impossible, mm. the fact that it feels impossible means well, I don't know. There is like it, I don't know. There's something. It's like then when there's an empty chair, it it pro- there's a there's a presence of absence. Like the the fact that there's a chair there mm. shows that there should be someone sitting on. Anyway, it's I don't know. It, wow, definitely don't quote Come me on. on any of those things. But <laughs> the, the impossibility actually speaks of there that there is a, maybe a possibility, even though it feels like an impossibility. Mm. Anyway. Um. Oh, so good. Yeah. Go for it. There's a a poem by W.H. Auden. I was just looking at it the other day and it's like something like we, we who must die demand a miracle, you know, the, the impossible. And they should, you know, kind of like he talks about the impossible possible. That is the incarnation. We hope you've been enjoying this wonderful conversation, but Claire wanted to take a few seconds just to share some ways you could get involved more in the Regent College podcast. Totally. We at Regent, we love people being a part of the things that we're doing. And so there's a couple of different ways you can do that. 
If you've enjoyed this conversation or any of our other conversations, let someone know. Share it with them, share it with a family member, with a friend, with someone who you think would appreciate this and would love to hear it. That's the first way. Mm-hmm. Second way, you could you could give us a rating or write a little uh, comment on one of the on wherever you listen to your podcast. That would be another great way. And then the final way that you could uh, participate with us is if you've enjoyed the podcast and you'd like to give a donation to Regent College, then we would warmly receive that. Yeah. You can do that by heading to rgnt.net forward slash give. And, you know, in the comment box, let them know that we sent you. Right, Nick? That's right. We do love hearing when people have appreciated the podcast. And so let you can let Nick know by sending an email to podcast at regent-college.edu. When Nick and I are having these conversations, it's sometimes hard for us to realise that actually people listen to these. And so when we get emails or we get a little note in the comment box on the donation page of our website, it just reminds us that people are actually listening and we love that. So please let us know that you're listening. Let us know if there are things that different profs that you'd like to hear from. We'd love to hear from you. So thanks for listening. And we hope you enjoy the rest of the conversation. I wonder if just just switching gears a little bit, but kind of on the same topic of lament is, have you thought about specifically prophetic lament in music and how this, you know, we talked about emotions and those being formative and how music actually forms us um, Mm -hmm. and should call us into action to love God and to love our neighbor. But specifically, I'm thinking with um, call to action for people towards justice how does this mm-hmm. fit, like this prophetic lament in music fit into a call towards justice and even a, even a longing, you know, I think about even a longing towards shalom mm-hmm. and, and shaping of the Christian imagination. Yeah, I think this is where we get back into the formational. Mm-hmm. Why do we sing certain songs over and over? Mm-hmm. Why do certain songs become like um, of the moment? for mm-hmm. for certain communities um and i think often the best songs hold the complexity of this is where we are and we're crying out for justice we are crying out for something to change mm-hmm. um, you know I, I think about um in the states there's the the black national anthem uh, lift every voice and sing and mm-hmm. each of the verses kind of takes you through something different mm-hmm. and you know there and there's something about the walking through the entire hymn in some ways it's like a hymn that people sing together and it becomes really important for the community and all the rest of it but it also kind of starts with we have cried out and we long we desire mm-hmm. we have walked through the suf- suffering and the sorrow and then by you get to the final verse and it's like and we are the people of god and we are going to go into mm-hmm. eternity mm-hmm. because this is the thing that calls us on mm-hmm. um, and i think that there is something in um yeah again particular songs that that almost spark our identity in the midst of suffering mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. can and can help us to understand not only our call out into the world, mm-hmm. but in some sense our call into mm-hmm. naming the suffering that has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and it depends mm-hmm. on maybe in some sense where your where your vocation is. Right. Yeah. I think some people like this is maybe the you know priest prophet king kind of mm-hmm. um trifecta of right. <laughs> vocational calling yeah, yeah. um you know priests do this differently prophets do it a particular way and those who lead us um 
like have these ways of getting us into, well, what is the deeper calling, mm-hmm. uh, what it means to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think this is where the richness comes, because, yeah. again, we're not just talking about singing. We're not just talking about forms of beauty. We're talking about being called into the life of God and mm-hmm. how the justice of God is for the sake of everyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I feel like we could like keep talking forever. This is mm-hmm. like so fascinating. Um, but our t- we don't have much more time. But if this has wet people's appetite, they could come and talk with you more about this in the class that you're teaching at Regent in the summer. Do you want to tell us what? Tell us in, a little bit about your class and kind of what are you excited about? What are you looking forward to about coming back to Vancouver and? Oh, yeah. I The reason why I said yes to this class is because I've never actually taught a class on music and theology. Mm. Um, and so there's, in some sense, a, a nerdy part of me that's that's really excited to, to play some music and talk about it. And um, uh, the way I've set the class up is to really kind of go, it's about the longing for shalom mm. and it's about mm. musical lament in particular. Mm. Um, it's We're we're going to look at kind of liturgics a little bit on the first day. Um, we're going to look at some James McMillan, actually listen to some James mm. McMillan um, and some other composers, but look at like how the music, how, what is musical theology and how has um, the musical tradition really in some ways formed us theologically mm in these spaces of lament mm-hmm. there's certain kinds of sounds that we hear that we go oh that just sounds like weeping or that sounds like this well that was developed over many years of composers talking about well how do i meet this particular need or how do i voice this particular kind of passage from scripture or mm-hmm. a particular theological idea um what i find really fascinating is that even as the church has neglected lament and this is part of the other th- uh, kind of stream through my class is that even as we have neglected lament, especially in the West, it's happened in the concert hall mm-hmm. and it's happened more and more in secular places. And so you have this whole category of late modernist lament that's in orchestra music and choral music. And, um, but, and it t- tends to like, t- you know, tie back to Renaissance music very, very significantly. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why are these secular composers picking up a liturgical form and reinventing it for this era? Wow. It's like, well, I think it's because we're wondering if we can still create, if we can still Mm. make meaning. And at a point when a lot of artists were like, well, there is no meaning in the world. There's no connection to anything. Mm. You have these artists going, no, Mm -hmm. we have a deep connection to um, goodness and lament and all these things. And so they're kind of pulling these fragments again. That's this big theme. Mm. So my hope is in the class that we can kind of talk about not just shalom as this kind of far off thing but mm-hmm. something that we practice when we sing when we play mm-hmm. when we when we listen to music and bring others into the this kind of wonder of listening to different kinds of music yeah wow sounds oh, interesting sounds fun are you are you planning on bringing your violin oh absolutely Come on. and we will and sing are you in together. a room with a 
Are you in a room with a piano? I hope so. I'm assuming you are. <laughs> I, I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. I just found out my TA is, is a musician, so perfect. There, there, there might be some things happening. Perfect, perfect. I, I think this, it's not going to just be a class. It's going to have a lot of yeah. lecture. I think we're going to be doing stuff together and figuring out like how to what it. Yeah, music always puts us in motion. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Things like that were static become like in motion. Mm-hmm. So totally. Well, we're so yeah. looking forward to having you back. And uh, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for delving into this. And thanks for the time that you've spent thinking about this and pondering it and then helping make sense of it for people like me who is totally not musical at all. <laughs> I just could keep talking about this for ages. So, Or philosophical, as the case may be. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thanks so much, Lee. Thanks so much for your time and for being with yeah, us. Thank, thank you both. It's been a pleasure being with you. Thanks for listening to the Regent College Podcast. Follow us on Facebook. Instagram, and Twitter. To discover more about Regent College, its upcoming events, conferences, courses, and more content like this, visit rgnt.net. That is rgnt.net.